Well, there's a story about a list of duties that nurses had and it was written in 1887. thought some of you folks might enjoy some of these things. In addition to caring for your 50 patients, it says, each nurse will follow these regulations. Daily sweep and mop the floors of your ward. Dust, dust the patient's furniture and windowsills. Maintain an even temperature in your ward by bringing in a scuttle of coal for the day's business. Lighting is important to observe the patient's condition. Therefore, each day fill kerosene lamps, clean chimneys and trim wicks. Wash the windows once a week. The nurse's notes are important in aiding the physician's work. Make your pens, make your pens carefully. You may whittle nibs to your individual taste, and I have no idea what that is. Each nurse on a day duty on a day duty will report at 7 a.m. and leave at 8 p.m. Except on the Sabbath, on which day you will be off from noon till two. Graduate nurses in good standing with the director of nurses will be given an evening off each week for courting purposes or two evenings a week if you go to church regular. <laughs> each nurse should lay aside from each payday a goodly sum of her earnings for her benefits during her declining years so that she will not become a burden. For example, if you make $30 a month, you should set aside 15 any nurse who smokes, this is actually written in, just so you know. Any nurse who smokes, uses liquor in any form, gets her hair done at a beauty shop or frequents dance halls will give the director of nurses good reason to suspect her worth, intentions, and integrity. The nurse who performs her labors and serves her patients and doctors faithfully and without fault for a period of five years will be given an increase by hospital administration of five cents a day providing that there are no hospital debts that are outstanding. Aren't you glad some things change? <laughs> 1887. 1887, that was what was written in hospitals for nurses to accomplish. Well, things do change and we have to make sure that we let them change, but sometimes we're still holding back to the same thing we did before. Same thing we taught before. Sometimes our parents got under wrong doctrine and we're still under that same wrong doctrine that they were under. Sometimes we heard something that was taught it was wrong years ago and we never got out from it. We're still sitting under that thing. In Isaiah verse 27 of chapter 10, it says, It shall come to pass in that day that His burden will be taken away from your shoulder and His yoke from your neck and the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. The yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing. There is an anointing that is out to break yokes, to break bondages. And some of us have been held in bondage by things. And we want to get over these, these things. We've been, over the last little bit over a month, looking at healing. We haven't looked at this topic in a, at least a year, I think about two years, just to go over some things to get us in that area because it's important that we stay healthy. Sometimes I listen to the tapes of these services some things get by you when you're the first time you're going through, but I go the second time and I hear all these coughs and sneezes and things. So we need to know what it is about healing so we can get free of all that stuff. The first time we looked this over, we looked at unbelief and defined one, what unbelief is. Unbelief is the rejection of truth. We went through the Word of God and looked at why that was that way, why it is the rejection of truth. Sometimes we look at, at unbelief and doubt as a meter of your faith, how much faith you have. But it's unbelief, according to the Word of God, is the rejection of truth. And very few of us actually reject truth that we hear from the Word. We may struggle trying to obey it. We may struggle trying to fully comprehend it. But we don't generally outright reject it. So most of us are not guilty of, of those things. We looked at how Jesus is our rewarder, that He's a liberal giver. And it's important for us to know that He's that way. When we come to God, we've got to know who He is. We've got to know what He is for us. We looked at what do I receive when I get prayed for, when someone lays hands on me, when someone speaks the name of Jesus over me. What is it that I receive? We see we receive power. We receive power for healing, that there's healing power that comes on us. Then last week we looked at what are we supposed to do with that power? Once that power comes upon me, what am I supposed to do with that? How am I supposed to deploy it? How am I supposed to maintain that healing power? And we got into that last week. If you weren't here for any of those weeks, you can go back there and get CDs. Or, of course, it's always available up on online if you want to go up there and, and take a look at those. 
But here in this one, we want to take a look at breaking the yoke. That some of us have been under a yoke of bondage because of sickness and disease. We've been under a yoke because of other things. And the anointing is here to break it. As we said, Isaiah 10, 27, the yoke destroys the anointing. The, the, the anointing destroys the yoke. The anointing destroys the yoke. I'm real familiar with this passage of Scripture because one of the guys I like to listen to as far as music is, is concerned is David Ingalls. And a long time ago, he was given a word of prophecy by Brother Hagin and it used this verse. And it says the yoke would be destroyed because of the anointing. And he puts it on every single one of his albums. So I hear it over and over and over and over. I got it down. <laughs> and there are three uses of the word yoke in Scripture. The first one is literally. Yoke is used in a, in a literal sense. And it's just a yoke of oxen. How often do we hear about the yoke of oxen? Or the yoke of uh, a yoke that puts two farm animals, uh, animals together for a purpose and for uh, work that they would do. A second way is figuratively to become a student of a teacher. To become a student of a teacher. This is the figurative sense that it would do. The Jewish rabbis had a saying that if you placed yourself under a teacher to become their pupil, you take upon yourself the yoke of that teacher. You take upon yourself the yoke of that teacher. That will help you understand Matthew eleven twenty nine through 30 a little bit better. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. When he's talking about taking a yoke on, he's not talking about taking a burden on. He's talking about becoming a student of his. Become a pupil of him. And learn from me. That's why he taps that in there. Sometimes you may have read that and said, take my yoke upon you and just skip right on by in your head and learn from me. But that's why he put it in there. This is something that the rabbis would teach the folks. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, that's contrary to what some of the Pharisees and Sadducees yoke was. Their yoke was hard because you had to obey 600, 700 different laws. And that's a hard thing to do, to be mindful of that many laws. Can you imagine just being mindful of that many laws? That's a heavy yoke. But his was easy. And later on he defined it and he says, there's just two commandments you really need to focus on. That's a whole lot easier than six, seven hundred commandments to have to focus on, isn't it? So we can see yoke uses in a figurative sense. And third, it's used in a symbolic sense. It's used as a symbol of burdens and oppression. Burdens and oppression. In Leviticus 26 and verse 13, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. There's burdens there. There's bondage. There's oppression that was going on. Deuteronomy 28 and 48, Therefore you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you. This is if you don't do the things that He commands. In hunger, in thirst, in nakedness, in a need of everything. And He will put a yoke of iron on your neck until he has destroyed you. Now that was a punishment thing before he's out there to break the yoke and he'd rather break yokes over folks. But if they're going to be walking in a way of disobedience, he said this is the path that you would go next. Now the word yoke, if you look it up in the dictionary, I have this definition for it. Yoke means agency of oppression, subjection, or servitude. It's an agency of oppression, subjection, or servitude. At least in the way that we're looking at it here. Oppression, if you look it up in the dictionary, you can also find, you know, yoke of oxen and other areas like that. Now, if you don't know what oppression is, oppression is the exercise of authority or power in a burdensome, cruel, or unjust manner. The exercise of authority or power in a burdensome, cruel, or an unjust manner. That very often, people have put themselves under yokes, under teachings, that is putting an undue, unnecessary, unjust, even cruel burden upon them. And they don't know it. They just expect this is the way that it's supposed to be. This is the way that it is. But it doesn't have to be that way. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, it reads how Jesus anointed Jesus, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He went about healing all who were oppressed by the devil. How many of you can think of something in your life that's oppressing you? It's coming against you. That you just seem to be bonded to that thing. 
Now, last week we looked at being set free from some things. That some people look at their disease, look at their sickness as something that they have. It's mine, I possess it. And they have a, a bit of a bondage. And we use the example of the wallet. That if I, I took someone's wallet and they gave it to me, and we all left, if I held onto that wallet, I put it and hid it somewhere, we'd all leave after church and none of us would think about it except for the person who owns it. That person who owns that wallet would begin to think about it and say, wait a minute, that's my credit cards. That's my bank card. That's my money. That's whatever else you have in there, checks, other things like that. All that, your driver's license. All that stuff means something to you because you'd have to replace it or do something to um, cancel the cards or whatever you might have to do. It means something to you. You have a bond to that. So even though I can separate you physically, I can take that away from you, the bond is still there. And this is what the yoke is. You have been yoked to some teachings. You have been yoked to some sicknesses and disease. You have been yoked to some things that you do not need to bear or to hold on to. But because of some wrong teaching, because of something that has gotten in, you think, this is my cross I have to bear. How many times have you heard that one? Wrong application of Scripture. It's in Scripture, isn't it? Yeah, but it's a wrong application of it. But because it's in Scripture, we adopt it. Well, I guess I just have to bear this one. I was reminded of a story. Uh, Brother Hagin was laying hands on someone and uh, they came up for prayer for one thing. And uh, he prayed over her. And she turned around to go away. And he could see visibly that her hip was giving her trouble. And he stopped her and he says, why, why, don't you have a, why don't you get the whole thing fixed? Get prayer for your hip too. And she says, no, I just needed the other one done. I can bear this. But you see, we sometimes have that thinking that I need to bear some stuff. Sometimes people have that idea because Paul had that burden. And we've spent time on that before. We're not going to spend time on it here again. It's wrong application of Scripture. People go through things and they try and go through Scripture and they try and come up with how Paul had some sickness and disease. Paul didn't have a sickness and disease. We can prove that to you from Scripture. Not going to do that now. If that's an issue for you, let me know. We'll help you out with it. But you can be oppressed by sickness and disease. You can be oppressed by wrong teaching. Now, you can see it in some areas real easy. Some areas are real simple for people to, to see this in. In the area of salvation. Do you, do you know, have you met people who have been saved? You know they've been saved and walking saved and all of a sudden you see them under the oppression of, oh, I was such a sinner before. You know what the stuff I used to do when I was a sinner? Oh, I can't. I don't think God can love me with it. What do you mean you don't think God can love you with it? God already has. You've been walking in a place of salvation. You'd be there exhorting them, wouldn't you? But here they're getting under the bondage of all that. And you try and shake them free of it. And if they didn't, you'd just say, what a nut. I mean, here they were walking free of all that stuff. And now they want to go and put themselves back under that again. How ridiculous is that? Or if you have a person, they're saved and they walk free of all that, but all of a sudden they do something and somehow they have, a, they have the understanding that that was an unpartable sin. God can't forgive that. Or they get the idea that they've sinned that sin too many times and they've gone over, over the quota. God won't forgive that sin anymore. And they get under the... If you... If run into someone like that, wouldn't you exhort them heavily? Wouldn't you say, God can forgive any sin? Why are you getting bogged down with this? Wouldn't you do that? Well, in the same way, it works in the area of healing. It's no different. Because in the area of healing, when Jesus Christ died on the cross for His sins, what part of, the, of what He did on the cross covered your sin? What part of what He did? What do we always talk about? It's the blood. The blood is what covers your sins. If it is the blood that covers your sins, why does Scripture spend time talking about the stripes that He took? The whipping that He took? The beating that He took? Why does it spend time on that if it is only the blood that He shed that is needed to cleanse you from sins? Because there is more to salvation than just cleansing from sins. He did more than that. We celebrate communion all the time. We, we have it up here to do today. It's done in two parts. If the blood is all you need for forgiveness of sins, why do we have the bread? 
Why does Jesus bring the bread in to the Last Supper? There's no, there's no point in it. If all we need is the blood and we're not to add anything to His blood, His blood is sufficient, why do we have the bread? But Jesus deliberately did it in two parts. In fact, now I say this all the time, I don't bring a point to it, but in the, when He brought the uh, Last Supper up, when does He serve the bread? Every time we do communion, I say this. I know most times it goes over your head because you're just not thinking about it. When does He serve the bread? I say it every week, every time we do this. Now, from this point on, you will always remember it when I say it to you, won't you? <laughs> Before supper, He took the bread and broke it. And He passed it around. When does He serve the wine? After supper. After supper. He didn't do it in two parts, so they dipped the bread in the wine. Before supper, He broke bread and He gave it to them. After supper, He passed the wine around. It's done in two whole parts. There's a whole meal in between. It's not all jumbled together. It's not the same thing. It is two parts. Now you'll remember, every time I, and I say this, every time we do communion, before supper, how many now remember that I have said that? Before supper, He took the bread. After supper, He took, I say that for a reason. Don't always go over it, but that's the way it comes in the Word of God. If that's the way it comes in the Word of God, I figure He means it for a reason. Brother Copeland, I've heard him mention this before, but he's always said that the word salvation means means not only saving, but healing. And he used to just replace it in his, his Bible. When he would read saved, he'd just put in there, or when he reads uh, salvation, he'd just say, see uh, saved healed. Saved healed. All the time he'd go, saved healed. Just to get it into his head, I'm healed. I'm healed. By the stripes, I'm healed. Isaiah talks about the stripes of Jesus being what heals us. Now we're on this area of oppression. Be about breaking the yoke. Can sickness be an oppressor? Yes. <laughs> it sure can, can it? I mean, it makes you feel lousy. It oppresses you with that. Does sickness control when you go to work? How many have ever called out sick? Sickness can control when you go to work. If you don't get paid for that, it just impacted your finances, didn't it? How many of you go to free doctors? So sickness impacts your wallet there too, because if you have to go to the doctor, then you gotta, you know, pay certain stuff. So sickness can impact you there. It's an oppressor. It controls all these things about you. Now I don't know when I determined it, because when I was in junior high, I was out sick a lot. When I was in elementary school, I was out sick a lot. When I went to high school, I just determined I'm not going to give in to this anymore. And I told you the story before. Never missed a day of school in high school except for the first day of my senior year. Mom had the wrong start date wrong. She had it down wrong. Would have had perfect attendance for three years. But that's all right. It's no big deal. I wasn't going for a perfect attendance. I just decided that sickness wasn't going to dictate my day anymore. I'm not saying that I was totally well all those three years. But I just decided it's not going to dictate my day anymore. There are some days I've woken up and I don't feel all that great. But you know what I do? Get up, buddy! You're going to work. You're going to get out there. You're going to do this. I don't let my body dictate. I don't let sickness do that to me. It is not going to oppress me. I'm going to make it go. And I'll tell you what, I've made it go and it don't feel like going. And I've made it go and usually before the day's out, I'm feeling fine. But I know if I stayed home and stayed in bed and laid around, I'd be thinking about being sick. And it'd get a hold of me. I don't want it to get a hold of me. Sickness can control you. It can try and oppress you. So how is it I get under this stuff? In Acts chapter 15 and verse 10, Now therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? The yoke of the law. Why did you do that? Well, we sometimes have come under a yoke of a wrong teaching, of a wrong thought. I put in your outline this, I may have become a student of a wrong teaching. How many of you got this one? Healing ended with the apostles. And we got under that teaching and we thought, well, healing ended with the apostles. And now it's, I mean, it's a hit or miss thing. Sometimes God does it. You just got to get in the right meeting. You just got to be there at the right time. Hope that God pulls your name out of a hat. We talked about that before too. Healing ended with the apostles. I've heard this one too. It's just a name and claim it doctrine. 
Right? I mean, we've heard that over and over again. I don't like the name it and claim it doctrine. I'm not in it. But sometimes you hear people talk about that. I put my own title in this. Instead of name it, claim it, put it this way. Know and flow. <laughs> know and flow. I know what God has promised me and I flow in it. Now, Brother Hagin, before he would always be def- ta- talking about uh, this this kind of thing, people get out there and call it, you know, name it, claim it, stuff like that. And he'd get out there and talk about some parts of it. He said, first off, it's not a name and claim it. And he used the example of a bank account. How many of you have a bank account? How many of you have some money in there? <laughs> Generally, you always have to have some money in there, right? But if you, if you let's say that you have a, a, a $1,000 check and you put a $1,000 check, a $2,000 check, a 500 whatever amount of check that you put in there, you put that money in there. We're just going to say round figure, $1,000 check. You put a $1,000 check in there. You have $100 in there. How much money do you have in the account? $1,100. I try to keep it round so everybody can add it up real, real quick. $1,100. Do you need faith to write a $900 check? Why? Because you know what is in your account. What if you came to the bank and you said, you know, I got I to I gotta pay my rent and it's $900. And they said, okay. Well, I, 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 you don't understand the problem. I have to pay my rent. I need $900. You look at your account. Okay. How did you want that? You don't understand. I need $900. Yeah, well, you, would you like that in cash? We could do a cashier's check. There's a money order. You could do one of those. Why, why, would, why would you need their permission to use what is already yours? I mean, have you ever called up the bank if you had $1,000 in there and you were going to write a check for $998? Do you mind if I take all that money back? I mean, I know I just gave it to you last week, but is it okay if I take all the money back? I need, I need it. I mean, I'll, I'll bring you some more next week, but can I take all the money back? Would you mind? Terribly. No, it's your money. <laughs> right? We would think ourselves as being ridiculous that way. Well, God has put in our account certain things. Do you go to God and beg God? Oh, God, please forgive me. Oh, I missed it again. Oh, I sinned again. Oh, God, please forgive me. Do you beg God for it? Some people do. You're not supposed to. Some people do. I realize that. But you don't have to. What do you have to, what do, you have to do to get forgiveness from God? Ask. Ask. We don't need to beg and plead and, and like act like we have nothing in the account and we need a $900 check. We don't need to do that. We just say, Father God, I missed it. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers me, cleanses me from all sin. Glory to God. And we go on and we're set free. Do we ever come to God and say, God, I know just you saved me 30 years ago, but I'm not feeling saved. Can you save me again? Please, God. oh God, I just need to have that feeling of feeling saved. Can you save me again, please? Please, God. Would you do that? No, because you know. And that's provided for you in the same way that healing is, isn't it? But yet when we get in the area of healing, i got to beg Oh, oh, please God, heal me! I've been so good! And I'll be even better! Please heal me. Please. It's not a name it and claim it. It's a know and flow. Know what God has given you and flow in it. That's it. Just know it. Now you do this with your kids. How many of you put your kids on an allowance? And when they go to the store and they want to, Oh, Mom, Mom, can I please? Can I get this? Look at this car. You see the wheels on this car. Look at the color. You know I like this color. Look at this car. How many of you have been doing that? And every time you go there, you want to avoid certain spots because they have all this stuff in there. And as soon as you go through the line, Oh, there's that car. Mom, please! And after, I mean, it's only a $2 car. And after a while, you say, you know what? For $2, I will be glad for the peace. But you see, you put them on an allowance, $2 a week, dollar a week, whatever it is you decide to give them. 
and they've got that to spend. How much money do you have left? Well, I didn't spend my $2. I guess I have $2. Then if that's what you want to spend your money on, go ahead. If you want to save it, wait for something else and go ahead. But now it's their decision. You put it in their hands. But now they don't have to beg and plead. They have $2. Mom, I still have that $2 from last week. Yes, you do. You didn't spend it yet. I still got it for you. See, God has put certain things to your account. We have no problem accepting that to our account is laid the price of salvation. We have no problem understanding that to our account is laid forgiveness. But when it comes to healing, we get all thrown. Why is that? Because we've accepted wrong doctrine. Healing ended with the apostles. Another one, it's not always God's will to heal. I mean, there are times God wants to teach you something. We've said it before. Other people have said it. I sure didn't come up with it, but they've said it before. I just repeated them. If God wants you sick, why are you going to the doctor? Why are you getting operated on? You are getting out of the will of God. The will of God is for you to be sick. Enjoy it. Get the full benefit. Don't take cold medicine. Don't take aspirin. Get every bit you are supposed to get from what God has given you. If you really truly believe that what you have is from God, then you should not be taking painkillers. Enjoy that pain. God has a purpose for that pain, right? But you don't believe that. That's why you're taking the painkiller. That's why you take the medication that you do. Because you don't really believe it, but it's a good thing to say. Folks, if we don't have to talk yourself into salvation, if you don't got to talk yourself into forgiveness, why do you got to talk yourself into healing? It's laid to your account. It's there for you. Know what God has provided for you and flow in it. That's all. I have come to wrong conclusions based on experience, not in the Word of God. That's another thing that will put you under a yoke. I've come to wrong conclusions based on experience, not the Word of God. God may not want to heal me. He probably doesn't like me that much. I haven't been saved all that long. Could have been doing better. It may not be my time. God has a time for me to be healed. I just got to wait it out until it's that time. When it gets to be that time, glory to God, I'll be healed. <laughs> I need to get under a stronger anointing. That anointing in that meeting wasn't strong enough. I need a stronger one. When I get under a stronger anointing, I'll get healed. Am I meddling in your life yet? See, something that's yoked me created a bond or a tie between me and the sickness, disease, and pain. Something's done it. Something has yoked me to it. Something has taken me, who's supposed to be liberated, and yoked me to sickness and disease. If I saw myself yoked to sin, wouldn't I understand that the power of God would be there to break it? If I saw myself yoked to the thought that God is not forgiving me, wouldn't I understand that the power of God would be there to break it? But I get into this area of healing and I come up with all kinds of excuses of why I can bear this thing. Why I should take this thing on. Well, how about this one? This one will meddle with some of you. You're just getting old. <laughs> You're just getting old. That's all. People are trying to put that on me now. You're just getting old. You just can't keep that pace up. I don't buy it. I don't believe it. I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to keep up whatever pace I want to for as long as I want to and I'll stop when I feel like stopping which probably is never. No, I'm not telling you that I, I don't feel anything. There are times I go out there and run, hit three, four, five miles and my knees are feeling a little sore. So you know what I do? Well, I guess I'm getting a little old. I have to back off and not run so much. Shouldn't do that. Oh, it's getting kind of getting kind of sore. Nope. It says, knees, you get in line. I'm running. I'm running because I want to. I'm running because I feel like it and I know what my God provided me. How is it that we don't get too old for forgiveness? How is it we're not too old for salvation? But suddenly we got too old for healing. 
All right. Don't like that one, huh? I mean, come on, we're hiding by the, behind a whole lot of excuses. Acts chapter 15, verse 10. Now therefore, oh, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who are oppressed by the devil except the old people. It didn't say that? Healing all who are oppressed by the devil except those who inherited things genetically. That wasn't in there either? Oh. Healing all who were oppressed by the devil except those who did stupid things. That's not in there either? Well, one of these things ought to be in there. How do we come up with these ideas? How many of you have ever thought, well, God won't heal me of that. I did something stupid. Like it's the first time. Right? I mean, did you do something stupid in the area of sin that you need forgiveness for? Did it stop God from forgiving you? Did you did so- do something stupid that you need to get saved from? Did that stop God? But you get over here in the area of healing. Well, I did something stupid. I shouldn't have done. I knew better than that. Some of you folks are still under that belief that if you go out in the wintertime without a coat on, you'll catch cold. You know why you're under that belief? Because your mom told you. It wasn't your dad, it was your mom. I know it. Dads don't say those things. Moms do. Because your mom told you that, didn't she? Didn't she tell you? You go out without a coat on, you're going to catch cold. And you got hit with that over and over again. You go out without a coat on, you'll catch cold. So what do you think when you go out without a coat on? What do you think? Hey, your mom's here, huh? Yeah, I know. I had a mom too. (laughs) She did the same thing. She gave up after a while. You think I'm bad now? I was just as bad then. I do own a winter coat. I didn't use it all last year. Didn't mess with it. Didn't use it at all. This winter coat I have, I think, is I I got it before we got married. It's older than we've been married. It just don't get used. I don't need a coat. Now when I go out and run in the wintertime, I wear less. I don't need it. <laughs> Pair of shorts, long sleeve shirt. If it's really cold down around 10 degrees, I'll put on a windbreaker. And that's it. Now see, you all look at me funny. You say, oh, how can you do that? Because you never did it. <laughs> there you go. It's no problem. And you'll say, you're going to catch cold. Folks, I don't catch cold. It's I'm too fast. <laughs> it can't catch up with me. <laughs> but you keep thinking that and you'll get put under the bondage of it. The truth is, the truth is, the real, real scientific stuff will tell you if you go out without a coat on, you are more protected than if you don't. And first off, you can't catch germs by going out without a coat on. When you get used to temperature variances without coats all the time, it builds up your immunity to it. The truth is, I'm in better shape against it than you are. Just immunity-wise. Now, you can go on and put your coat on all you want to. Go ahead. Get on. I tease there all the time. I mean, it's 60 degrees out. It's 70 degrees outside. He's got his coat on. I don't understand that. So I tease him. He's alright. He'll tease me about all this stuff and and we have a good good time with it. But you see, you get this you get this thinking down on the inside of you, and you won't get rid of it. It's how many of you folks have joint problems that flare up when certain weather patterns come into play? And so it's gotten you to a place where you begin to think this way, right? Right? When you look, oh look at the weather report. I'm gonna feel it tomorrow. You ever said that? <laughs> Why do you say that? Because you have been trained to think that when the weather is this way, my joints are going to bother me. Because what do I have? I have come to a wrong conclusion based on experience, not the Word of God. When does the Word of God ever say you will be healed except when it rains? It's raining. It won't work. No, get rid of this stuff. Get this thinking out. 
We told you before, people go up and they talk about my disease, my headaches, my pain. And I know that sometimes you're just coming up and you just want to tell, tell me or tell whoever's up there, this is what's going on, and that's fine. But there's a point that it, you become in possession of it. It is my back pain. It is my muscle soreness. It is my pain here and pain there. It is my sickness and disease. And if I, if the power of God were to come upon you, if I lay hands on you, someone else laid hands on you, and the power of God came upon you to drive that sickness away, the same way it drove sin away, the same way it drove unforgiveness away, the same way it did that, if the power of God came on you, as soon as it went away, you'd be looking for it. Where is, where is my headaches? Or as soon as the weather would turn, well, I've been pain-free for three days since I got prayed for, but here comes the weather. Right? Because we haven't broken that attachment. What is going to break the attachment? you got to break that yoke. You have been yoked to something. You see, a yoke does not just hold one thing. It holds two. You put two yoke of oxen in there. I guess it can hold more than that, but you put two yoke, you yoke them together to get something done. And the devil wants to yoke you with something to accomplish his purpose. He wants to yoke you with false doctrine, false assumptions. He wants to weaken the Word of God. He wants to show you bad examples. You get into that name and claim it stuff. We had people down at Rhema. They tried to chase the name and claim it people out. They did the best job I've ever heard anybody do. First week orientation. If you were a name and claim it person, you survived first week. I don't know how you did. They'd scare you out of that place. They'd tell you, if you write a faith check, you don't get mercy, you get expelled. If you write a check and there was no money in it, now if you made an error, they'll probably work something out. But if you wrote a faith check expecting that God was going to put the money in your account, you're out of there. Gone. They didn't like that kind of stuff. They had people, mostly it was the ladies, I'm sorry to say, I, I'm sure it could happen with the guys too, but most of the ladies will look across the room and see a certain young man and claim him. I claim that one for my husband. Now that's just stupid. And not only Brother Hagen, but every one of them will come out there and say, you can't do that. You can't. It's a no and flow. You've got to know what God's promised you. God hasn't promised you that man or that woman. May have promised you a man or a woman. Or you may be able to walk into blessings to get that. But He never promised you that one. They may not want to marry you. So you got to make sure that you know what the Word of God says. But as far as healing is concerned, where do we find a place where Jesus qualified or disqualified anyone in any of His meetings from getting healed? The only thing that took them out of the way was when they operated in doubt and unbelief. That was it. That took them out of the place. We've been yoked to false doctrine. We've been yoked to false assumptions. We've got to get rid of these things. You don't need that working in your head. Get it out. Well, what do I need to do to get free? First off, let the anointing identify. Identify what is going on in you. Identify that wrong doctrine. First, I put this in there. I tend to resist right teaching on a subject that I have already accepted false. That's everybody. I don't care who you are. If you have already accepted something as a right teaching and it's false, when you get true teaching on it, you will generally reject it. Which makes you a... What's the word? First week? Unbeliever. Unbeliever. You are rejecting truth. Even though you think it's false, you have rejected truth, become an unbeliever. That will turn some things off. Don't hold to teachings that lack... Now, we put this in other phraseologies. I... I came up with this one just to make it easier for you. Don't hold the teachings that lack doctrine and demonstration. Doctrine and demonstration. We've told it before, like teaching an example. Make sure that someone taught it and make sure that someone exemplified it. I put it to you though this way. Doctrine and demonstration. Make sure there's a teaching there and make sure that somebody lived it. There's a lot of people going out there saying that the Word of God teaches a certain thing, but you can't find anybody in the Word of God who lived it. Who did it. If you can't find anybody in the Word of God who did it, you probably shouldn't be doing it either. So let the anointing identify. Because it's the anointing that will break the yoke. You have been yoked to a wrong doctrine. What's going to break it? The anointing. 
Let the anointing identify. Let and loose. Let the anointing identify and loose. The anointing yields power to heal and to liberate. In Luke chapter four, verse sixteen, we got this last week. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found a place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Did we see Jesus do these things? Yes, we did. So we saw the demonstration. Here's the doctrine. There's other places where the doctrine is as well. But the anointing is there to loose you, to loose you from that thing that you've been yoked to. This is what he's talking about here. He's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now, once liberated, don't talk, act, or think like one under bondage. Once you're liberated, don't talk, act, or think like one under bondage. Is this principle taught in the Word of God? Is it demonstrated? How many times did God exhort the Israelites for constantly talking and acting like they were still under the bondage of Egypt. He got to the point where he says, alright, if I can't get the bondage, if you guys won't open yourself up to the anointing, then let that bondage to that yoke of Egypt be broken, then you're all dead. And he worked with them for a while, but he finally declared to them all, you all are going to wander out here until you're dead. We're going to get a whole new generation who has not been bound to that and I'm going to take them in. That's why he did it that way. So once liberated, don't talk, act, or think like one under bondage. When you get prayed for, for that joint, you get prayed for for that condition, when you get prayed for for that disease, don't go out of there saying, well, I don't know if it worked. Well, I, don't, it's, I, I mean, it's a pretty clear day today. Tomorrow it's supposed to rain. We'll see how we do tomorrow. What are you doing? You're still talking like you're under that kind of bondage. Get out of it. So the anointing will identify, loose, and destroy the yoke. The Word of God says that the anointing breaks the yoke. It breaks the yoke. If you break the yoke, you're probably not putting that back together again. They did not have superglue when they used yokes. <laughs> the anointing breaks the yoke. So don't lament, regret, or repair it. Don't put it back together again. Don't get in there and say, Oh, my yoke is broken. Oh, let me put it back together again. So you can get yoked to that thing again. And people do it. People do it. I actually wrote this in here twice for you to make sure you get it. So let the anointing identify loose and destroy the yoke. Then don't put it back together. Don't put it back together, folks. Galatians 5 and verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't be entangled again with it. When you get that thing to shatter you and get you free of it, don't go back into that way of thinking again. Don't go back into that place again. Now, how many of you... Uh, I'll, I'll give it to you this way. How many of you came from a church and in this church they taught that you may not know if you're saved? There is no assurance that you're saved. You just got to hope that you're good enough, hope that you did all that you needed to do, that when you get on the other side... St. Peter sitting there with his book checking to see if you can get in. And you won't know until then. How many of you came from that? A couple of you. And you got out of it, right? That's why you're here, I guess. We don't teach you that sort of stuff. but Probably got out of it before you got here. But anyway, you got out of that and you're not in that anymore. How many of you long to get back in a church that teaches you that? You don't? How many of you have, were brought up in a church that taught you that forgiveness of sins is obtained by works? That if you want to have forgiveness of sins, you need to go out and do a couple of good deeds. That you needed to be so good. That you need to forgive other people so many times. Or say so many prayers this way. Or repeat this phrase. Or so forth. How many came out of a church that did that? I know they're out there. A few of you did came out of that. 
How many of you want to go back now that you're out of that and you know that all you got to do is ask God for forgiveness and He forgives you? How many want to go back to that? No, why? You've been set free. You've been liberated. How many of you came, grew up not knowing, never, never knew that you could know for sure about your rewards in heaven? You can know for sure how God feels about you here down in this earth. How many of you grew up in a church that didn't teach you that you can have a relationship with God here? That His Spirit will talk to your spirit. And that He'll give you revelation in the Word of God. How many of you were brought up in a church and never knew that? Never knew God would talk to you? Never knew God would give you revelation? How many of you want to go back to that? Now that you've learned something different, know that God will speak Revelation. How many of you had God speak Revelation to you? Once you have that done, that's, there's no going back. They said, wow, this is good. How many have been in a church where you sang three hymns? The beginning, the middle, and the end of service. All three verses. Standing while we sing. Song service. And then you got into a place and they, they taught you how to worship God. How to not just sing the song and the verses, but to get in the presence of God and to worship Him. And to let yourself go and just, oh, glory to God. Just worship Him, just get lost. In. How many want to go back to the other? You see, when you get a taste of something that's good, why would you want to go back? Why would you want to go back to something else? When God puts His healing power upon you and sets your body free from sickness and disease, from pain and oppression. Why is it that we just find a way and desire to go back to what we had before? How many of you sometimes think, well, God's a busy God. I mean, He's God of the universe. It's a big place. I'm just, I'm just me. I'm just me. I mean, I, I don't want to impose upon God to have to do all this. You don't have to impose upon God. Now, I'll give you a homework. For many of you, this is not new. Others, it might be new. Go through the Word of God, in the New Testament in particular. I want you to examine all the prayers of Jesus that He prayed for for the sick. Then I want you to go into the book of Acts. And I want you to examine all the prayers of the apostles that they prayed for the sick. And I want, you to, I want you to tell me, make a list in there, make two columns. Column on the right, column on the left. On the column on the left, I want you to mark all the times that those people prayed to God to heal them. And a column on the right, I want you to mark all the times where they commanded the thing to go. Two columns. Go through every one of them. I already have. I've done it many times. You will find out that when Jesus prayed for the sick, He didn't ask God a thing. When He cast out the devil, He didn't ask God for a thing. When the disciples prayed, they didn't ask God for a thing. They commanded. They said. They got it done. We'll get more into that later on. But He doesn't ask God. Jesus doesn't say, Father God, heal this. Heal this, sister. Father God, heal this brother. He's blind. Father God, heal him. Right? He doesn't do that. What's he do? See. Go show yourselves to the priests. Doesn't he? With the woman with the issue of blood. Who prayed to God? Does it ever say in that scripture that the woman pleaded before God, God, if you'll just heal me this way? Doesn't say that, does it? Again, demonstration. Doctrine and demonstration. You got to go with what people did, not with what you think you ought to do. They spoke to the sickness and disease. How was it that they spoke to the sickness and disease and the sickness and disease obeyed? How come they didn't pray to God? Now, flashback on your life. How many times this week have you prayed to God for healing? Don't raise your hand. Dear God, I'm suffering from this headache for a day now. Dear God, my stomach's been upset. Dear God, I, I got this fever. I'm not feeling real good. Dear God, can you please heal me? That sound familiar? How many of you think that is a right prayer? 
Now, see the critics of this because there's critics for everything. Anytime there's anything good, there's critics out there for it. Anytime, anytime there's anything right, there's critics out there for it. The critics will tell you, you're telling God what to do. And when you're going through all those verses of Scripture, I want you to find one time where Jesus told God what to do. In those instances. I want you to find one time where the disciples told God what to do. When Peter and John come to the lame man, do they say, God, heal this man now. They don't tell God what to do, do they? They don't do it. There's a reason for it. And if you don't get past that doctrine that's yoked you all this time, then you're going to keep making prayers. Oh God, this hurts me so bad. Please heal me of this. And you go around and tomorrow it'll be the same. And the day after it'll be the same. And the day after that it'll be the same. Because that's not what they did in the Word of God. Would you all stand up with me? Father God, we thank You that we have doctrine and demonstration in Your Word. We have people that not only taught us what to do, but they showed us what to do. But You have come, You have sent Jesus to this, to this earth. That that anointing that was on Him would shatter the yoke of bondage, would shatter those things that have held us back. Father, I thank You that in Jesus' name, these yokes that we have been, that have attached us to wrong doctrine, to wrong thoughts, to wrong assumptions, to wrong teachings, whatever it might be, Father God, that these would be shattered, that Your anointing would come shattering that hold that it has upon us, that we are willing to look at Your Word and to see what it teaches and what it demonstrates. Because what we see taught and demonstrated by Jesus, what we see taught and demonstrated by the apostles, what we see taught and demonstrated by the saints in the Old Testament, this is what we need to be doing and not what we put together on our own head. Your Word is our final authority. And we can have no other. So Father, I thank You for the Word that You give us that gives us doctrine and demonstration. That we don't go out there and figure out what it is that we want and just go out there and claim the thing for ours. But Father, we find out what have You said belongs to me. What have You said is in my account. What have You said, Steve, I have made provision for You for this. And I don't need to ask permission to access it. It's mine. You gave it to me. There are many things in the Word of God that we ask God for. But those things He has already given us, we don't. Father, I thank You that Your Word teaches us what those things are. We give You the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name.